0: Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Here you go. Here you go. Welcome to a bonus pod of nothing personal. As we end this decade, hard to imagine we have at the end of a decade coming up. You know, they do the end of the year, all these top lists. So I wanted to dedicate an entire show to my view of top lists. You know, lists are a very personal thing, right? My lists are lists that people may or may not agree with. That's fine. You don't have to agree with it. It's it's my list. When I tell you that I've got a top movie of the decade, that's because it's my top movie of the decade. I don't care if it's not your top movie, Coca. It doesn't bother me because for me, it's mine. But before I get into movies, because we're going to talk a lot of movies here, I want to say that I don't take my audience for granted here on nothing personal. I'm appreciative. I'm appreciative that you download, that you subscribe, that you've told your friends and family that you rate it five stars. Debo told me that matters. I work with Debo as well. And that you tweet at me at David P. Sampson. You You followed me and you give me so many great topics to talk about. We talk about sports. We talk about business. We talk some politics and we do it all because I try to uncover and talk to you about my view of things and also what really happens, what's going on behind the scenes when there are sports personalities or business stories where maybe we're being misled by what is being released publicly, or maybe we're not looking at things from a certain point of view. I have uh, <clears throat> taken this platform that CBS has given me, and for 46-plus episodes and and for two-plus months, I've had the uh, the honor of having really the ability to tell you what's in my mind and then to have you just think whether you agree or disagree. I don't need you to always agree with me at all. I just want you to at least think about it. So I wanted to spend time as this year comes to an end. And it's, uh, I used to measure things in days, weeks, months, years. Now it's decades. Thinking back to certain decades of my life as I start turning 52, Oh, in February of 2020, February 26th of 2020. And I was thinking about, to me, what were the top stories of this decade? What went on in the past, from 2010 to 2019, that for me, really, um, that over the years will define the decade? The thing about history is that you never really know if you're living in history. You can suspect that something is historic, but when you're going through it, you can say this is history, this feels like history, but you won't know until far, far in the future. So here are my top 10 stories of the decade and my top 10, you'll hear what they are. The first one is clear and uh, careful CBS. I know CBS right now, they're going to they're listen to this bonus podcast. They're going to lose their minds because I've got top 10 stories for you coming. There's not one sports story, not one sports story for me is in the top 10. I love talking sports. I love sports. It's been my life for 18 years. There is more to life than sports. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world. The number one story for me this past year was all of the, uh, this past decade, I should say, it's all the mass shootings. It is the insanity that has gone on in this country with all of the killings that go on, all the gun-related deaths, the school shootings, the synagogue shootings, the mosque shootings, the grocery store shootings, the movie theater shootings. It seems like every day someone is tweeting out thoughts and prayers. It's not enough. It doesn't matter that we're offering thoughts and prayers to family of the deceased. That's not doing anything. What matters is are we ever going to do anything about the fact that these crimes happen? Do we care? We as a society have to decide. It's possible by the way we vote that we don't care. And that's what a democracy is. We have the right to vote. The only thing you can't do is not vote. But once you vote, you're deciding what matters to you. Are you a one-issue voter? Do you vote only on the economy? Do you vote only on Israel? Do you vote only on abortion? Do you vote only on the Second Amendment? There are people who do one-issue voting. That's fine. I'm not begrudging people's right. That's what people fought for. We don't fight for the right to vote. We just have it. But there are people in this world who don't have that right and You have to respect the fact that we don't do anything. We wake up in the morning under a cloud of democracy. So every decision and every result that happens, it's our fault. We've created it because we vote people into office. So do you know there were over 32 shootings with four or more victims This decade, 32 shootings. When you compare that to what goes on in other countries, you'd lose your mind. So I don't want to give you stats. What I do want to tell you is the amount of gun-related deaths here in the United States, it puts other countries to shame. It's the most this decade than in any decade. Remember back in the 70s when basically you'd walk out of your house and you'd be at risk of getting shot? And then things got better. Well, things are getting worse now. So my question for you as you head into the next decade is, are you going to do anything about it? And if you are, it starts at the ballot. And four years ago, in 2016, three years ago, we all voted in Donald Trump to be the president of the United States. That's democracy. He won the popular vote. He won the electoral vote. And uh, Clinton won the popular vote, obviously. Trump won the electoral vote. We can talk about electoral versus popular. But what we definitely do know is that the Trump presidency has been a huge story here uh, in, in this decade. And whatever side you're on, I'm not going to take a side because it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what you think. I just want you to have an opinion as a listener to nothing personal. I want you to decide for yourself. I don't need you to watch Fox or I don't need you to watch CBS or I don't need you to watch CNN. I don't need you to do any of that because everyone's got an agenda. What I need you to do is just formulate an opinion Don't have apathy. We talk about this in sports all the time. I fight apathy. You want to hate my team. You want to hate me. I love it. You want to love me. You want to love my team and buy jerseys. I'm in. You want to hate me and buy a jersey to burn it. I'm in. All I want is for you to have an opinion. And when it comes to the Trump presidency, you will have an opinion and your opinion will be heard in the 2020 election. How does your opinion get heard? Not by protests, not by doing things that draw attention to yourself in social media. Your opinion gets heard very simply by voting. You can decide which candidate you're going to vote for. Just please choose one. Third topic for me that this decade was the Me Too movement. I'm a victim of uh, loving Harvey Weinstein, and uh, I loved his movies. I loved everything about Miramax. I loved all of the strategies he used to win Shakespeare in Love and Oscar, one of my top movies. Love that movie. And it was devastating when I found out what a complete monster he was. It was devastating to know that someone I looked up to as someone in the business, I never found him creepy. I just found him ugly. But what's, who cares? He could make movies. And that's really all I needed from him. It turns out that he needed a whole lot more from a whole lot of people. And in August 2017, uh, that's the biggest sort of social story for me was the Me Too movement that really gained momentum with all of the accusations against Harvey Weinstein. He's going to end up going to trial in 2020. Uh, I hope he doesn't see another free day. Uh, He's going to have his chance in court, and he'll be judged by a jury of his peers, except I have a feeling that none of them will actually be his peers. I just know that if there's one lesson to be learned from the Me Too movement— Uh, It's everyone in the media. It's everyone wherever you are. You're at a dinner party. You're at a restaurant. You're in business. You're with your family. Everyone now is on notice, right? Everyone just has to be a little more guarded, a little more thoughtful. We talked about the player who, uh, Coco, what's the name of the player who used uh, the word retard? Uh, Janoris Jenkins. Janoris Jenkins used the word retard and himself getting himself thrown off the Giants and then signed by the New Orleans Saints. If you, there are certain mistakes that you cannot recover from, there are certain mistakes that you can make that you can recover from. The Me Too movement is such that there is no recovering. If you find, and this happened with CBS, it happened with NBC, Matt Lauer, Les Moonvis, it happened everywhere, sexual harassment. It's inexcusable in the workplace. The fact is that women are probably just as good, if not better. Mostly they're better at doing your job than you are. We have, we're so distracted by so many things, men, women trying to get ahead, trying to make more money. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. Anybody can be president. Anybody can run a company. Anyone can be the general manager of a team. Anyone can make movies. Anyone can star in movies. Equal pay. We talked about it on Nothing Personal. You want equal pay? Then ma- raise money for your boss. Believe me, you'll get paid. Julia Roberts got 20 million bucks a movie when she was making money for the studios. When her movies stopped making money, her price goes down. Meryl Streep may be the best actress of our generation, but if Tom Cruise can open a movie better than Meryl Streep, he's going to make more money. That's not what the Me Too movement is. This next decade should be quite interesting. How about those of you who smoke pot? Anyone out there get stoned? Well, this was your decade if you get stoned. There's now 11 states that allow recreational marijuana use. 33 out of 50 states have legal marijuana use for medicinal purposes. How many people listening? How many of you got a medicinal card who didn't need it? You just wanted to get baked. How many of you have friends? How many of you went to places where it was legal? Denver, California, Nevada, brought back edibles, brought back vapes. You don't have to smell up the office anymore. You don't have to crack a window in your car and worry the police are going to come by. The legalization of marijuana became pervasive this decade. No end in sight. By the end of this decade, it'll be all 50 states. The fact is marijuana for me is better for you. I'm not Woody Harrelson, but I will say for me, marijuana is better for you than alcohol. And anyone over 18 can get alcohol anywhere. Anyone can get a fake. It's over 21, actually. And people can get a fake ID quite easily. I've seen it. I used to have a fake ID. My New York license when I was a kid, it was so easy to make fake because all you had to do was erase the eight. I was born in 68. If I erased the little dash on the upper right of the eight and on the lower left of the eight, the eight looked like a five. And licenses weren't laminated back in the dinosaur age when I was trying to have a, a fake ID so I could vote. That's why I wanted a fake ID. That's a joke for Alex P. Keaton fans out there. Here's sending love to Michael J. Fox, hoping you cure Parkinson's for my friend Brett and for yourself, Michael. So fake IDs were used. You're not going to need any of that to smoke marijuana. So for those of you who didn't realize, it was quite a story. But here's the question. Does marijuana use lead to opioid use? Is it a gateway drug? Are people who get stoned, are they all of a sudden doing crack or coke? What a story this decade of opioid abuse people dying of drug overdoses, accidental drug overdoses. They're getting fentanyl because they can't sleep. They're mixing heroin, cocaine. They're getting Xanax like it's going out of style. They're getting Percocets, Vicodins, oxycodones. They're mixing it all and then they're dying. We've seen actors, athletes, and ordinary people, although actors and athletes are ordinary people, we've seen people dying left and right due to the opioid epidemic. What's my best suggestion? my best suggestion is that we start treating it. There's no way to outlaw use of opioids. They're illegal already. People get them. People get them on the inter-Google. They get them. They get access to them. They're knockoffs. The question is, how do we make it okay to allow people to be treated? What I'm looking for in the next decade is that there will not be, we'll take, whether it's marijuana, opioids, alcohol, depression, suicide, any of the mental health issues that used to have a scarlet M put on your chest when you said that you had problems. That's a reference to the book, Scarlet Letter, the Scarlet A. Any case, I think you're with me. I say the next decade, there will no longer be a scarlet M for any sort of mental health issues. And I think that's the best way to solve and help the opioid epidemic is to let people know that it's okay to seek help, to seek treatment, and then to get treatment and make it available. Another big story. This decade, huge to me, Hurricane Harvey. What about Hurricane Harvey was such a big story? Remember, that was a Category 4 hurricane in Texas and Louisiana. Happened in August of, uh, I I think it was 2017. $125 billion in damage. 40 inches of rain in parts of Texas and Louisiana. Do you know, for those of you in, in Florida or in California or in the Northeast or wherever you are listening or watching, it's about 13 inches of snow for every inch of rain. Imagine a snowstorm where you had... 20 inches of rain. That's 260 around inches of snow. And you want to know why it is that that can paralyze a society and a company? You can't drive. You can't move. You can't do anything. Hurricane Harvey costs people their livelihoods. They cost jobs. It costs billions of dollars. It put insurance companies out of business. It put people out of business. It was the likes of which we've never seen. Can I blame it on climate change? Can I blame it on the president? Can I blame it on the person running for president? The person, the incumbent, the non-incumbent? Is it a political issue? No, it's a hurricane. Hurricanes happen. I've been in Florida since 2002. They're a nightmare. You want them to be out to sea. Sometimes they're not. Last story I want to talk about that to me was very big in in, uh, this, uh, this decade that is going to have an impact for decades to come. And it's DACA. Uh, DACA is the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. It was a huge deal when Obama passed it. It really was an out. It, It came from the DREAM Act. And what DACA is, it stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. And it does not include a path to citizenship. What that means is this is for undocumented immigrants who are escaping either from any country They're escaping for whatever reason they're escaping. The majority of people crossing our borders are escaping tyranny and violence. They're coming to America with Eddie Murphy. Looking forward to that in 2020. And what they do is there is every two years, basically, for someone who comes under DACA, is they have the right to keep staying in America, not get deported until they can get a work visa in order to stay. Different than the Dreamers Act, which did provide a path to citizenship. There's no path to citizenship under DACA. Obama passed it. Trump took it away. All that happened this decade. And now the Supreme Court will decide in 2020 what the future of DACA is. Now, for the majority of people, they may be totally insulated from all of these immigration issues. They might, may not understand it. You may hear it. But remember, about the, being a one-issue voter, you may be, you're all about the economy. You look in your IRA, you look in your bank account, you look at how your company's doing, and that's all you care about. There's other people who care about immigration, and that's their one issue. The fact of the matter is, personally, I'm a multi-issue voter, but from an immigration standpoint, there's no question that I want to protect our borders. I want, to, I want safety and I want control. I want to manage, just like when I go to another country, I have to show a passport. I have to pass through security. I can't sneak into Europe? I can't sneak into Asia, Africa, Antarctica. You actually have to go through a protocol. And I can't stay when I go. I'm on a tourist visa. So I understand everyone's desire to make rules. Rules matter. When you're running a government, it's easy to argue about what you don't like. The question is, what do you support? And what do you support that you can actually back up with action? And that is what we count on our legislative body and legislative branch to do, to come up with laws that control. I don't count on the executive branch. I don't count on the judicial branch, three branches of government. I count on the legislative branch to come up with what exactly can be the rules for immigration that make sense. And I think this decade will be a huge decade in that regard. Immigration is a critical part of our community. There are immigrants who – it's not about – not immigrant. all immigrants are criminals. That's insane. Just like not all people who were born in America are criminals. You can't put a blanket statement on people. It's absurd. It's embarrassing. What makes us great as a country is that we find a way not just to welcome people but to help them thrive. And in order to help people thrive, we need rules that people understand that can be enforced – And we need people in charge of those rules who understand the importance of fairness and equity. That was a very big story. Last one in honor of COCA. I was fascinated by this because I fly all the time. Was the disappearance of Malaysia Airlines Flight 370. Who remembers that? I know COCA does. COCA, tell me in my ear while I'm telling this story. What's the number one takeaway for you of the disappearance of Malaysia Airlines 370? Remember, that was the huge airliner that went down We don't. It just disappeared. Like no one knows what happened to it. There've been documentaries made. There are conspiracy theories. Did 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 it land on an alien in an alien ship? Did it get taken away into space? I'm waiting for Coca to tell me how what the pilot you think brought the plane down. That's your story. So what he's saying is that the pilot now since that I think have you ever been on an airplane and you notice the pilot when one pilot goes to the bathroom the flight attendant goes into the cockpit. Because no pilot can ever be alone in the cockpit, because if that pilot wants to commit suicide and take a plane down, the other pilot is supposed to fight that pilot. I always picture the flight attendant fighting with a pilot on, on an airline, trying to stop that pilot from taking it down. I don't quite understand how that works, but I understand. It's sort of like after the shoe bomber, we have to take our shoes off now when we fly. After the underwear bomber, I thought I'd have to take off my underwear. You know, there was liquid containers, so now we can only have three and a half ounces. We're so reactive. But the disappearance of Malaysia Airlines Flight 370 scared all of us to our core because you want to believe that pilots are taking care of you. Sometimes they're not. I believe Coke is right that the pilot took it down, but it's way more fun to think about that, in fact, the pilot had a conspiracy theory that he wanted to take the passengers hostage he landed in a remote under the radar place and then an alien ship came down and took the entire airline up into the sky. Yeah, probably not. All right. You know I watch a movie every day. I love reviewing movies on nothing personal. It's 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 one of my greatest things. I, I love doing it. I I stay up late, I watch movies. So when it comes to making lists, I have a lot of lists. I've got a top one hundred list, and I've talked about my top one hundred often. And I'm going to release it on this pod, at least some of it. But I'm going to start. Everyone always wants to see my top 100 list, and I never have showed it before in all the years. And I've had it. I've carried it around for almost 20 years. And I've never shown my top 100 list to anyone. But I want to share it with you as a thank you for being so loyal and liking this pod. Nothing personal. But let's talk about the top 10 movies of the decade. First, I'm going to give you five honorable mentions. And then we'll start the top 10. Five honorable mentions. Marriage Story. I reviewed it on Nothing Personal. It doesn't make my top 10, but it certainly gets honorable mention. A movie called Ruby Sparks. I haven't reviewed that. That is a movie about a, uh, a writer, and it's a writer p- played by Paul Dano, who actually creates the woman of his dreams by writing her, and then she comes to life. So if he writes a paragraph that says, and then she cooked me breakfast, and then we took a long walk in the park, in real life, this woman would cook breakfast and then take a long walk in the park. Anything he would type became his reality. It's called Ruby Sparks. Fascinating. Youth. I wish people would see Youth with Harvey Keitel. It didn't get enough attention and it should have. Uh, no matter what demographic you are, you're going to look at the preview in the trailer and say, wait, that's old people. Trust me, you're going to like Youth. Ex Machina. Do you remember the girl? Who is the woman who stars in Ex Machina? I'm drawing a blank, Coca. While he's looking that up, my other honorable mention is The Social Network. Ex Machina is this insanely intense movie that stars, he's looking now, I think, Alicia Vikander, thank you, who has become this incredible movie star, uh, nominated for an Academy Award, as I recall. And she uh, turned in this performance. Check it out. She won an Academy Award. For what, Coca? He's whispering. He's looking. He's checking. Number 10 movie of the decade. The King's Speech won the Academy Award. Colin Firth. The number nine. How come no one liked my number nine La La Land? La La Land won Best Picture. It is the most brilliant musical movie. Not to me better than Moulin Rouge. But what people have to do when you watch movies is suspend belief right? It's okay to like a movie that can't happen. You think traffic's going to stop on the 405 and people are going to break into song and dance on cars? Of course not. But the point of La La Land is to show you what is fantasy. What is a love story between Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone? Outstanding. Number eight. I got laughed at by Coke over my number eight. It's called Inside Out. Inside Out is an animated movie that's not for kids. It's actually mostly just for adults. And it's a movie about emotion, which is funny because I don't really have emotion. Although I've shown more emotion on this show, nothing personal since I started than I really have ever before. And it shows that inside the brain, there's so much going on that we all wonder why we need medicine to sleep, whether it's Ambien or some sort of other sleep medication. You want to know why Advil PM and Tylenol PM and Aleve PM and all of the clonopins and Xanaxes and Ambians, why they're so popular. That's because no one can sleep. I take that I'm like a next level not sleeper, which is how I get to watch movies. But Inside Out goes through what actually goes on in the brain. Wouldn't it be cool? It's not like what women want, where I'm thinking with Mel Gibson about what women are saying. There's a movie about that. This is actually inside someone's brain. Number six, straight out of Compton. I got some slack from people here in the office at CBS Sports HQ over this, thinking it was an ordinary... There's a producer named Jack who thought Straight Outta Compton was ordinary. I just don't think he understood the movie. It's an extraordinary movie, Jack. Uh, It's the sixth best movie of the decade for me. Standout performances. And I admit that I I didn't know much about this subject. I grew up pretty sheltered, I guess. Um, I just had no idea. I thought Dr. Dre was famous because he invented beats, Right. But what a movie. Number five was a Richard Curtis movie that no one's going to agree with me, but you should. Because if you like Richard Curtis, if you like Notting Hill, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Bridget Jones, he made a movie called About Time this decade. About Time with Dominique Gleason, with Bill Nighy from Love Actually. And it's a movie about time travel. And it's a movie about what you do when you've got extra time, how you use that extra time. You can't make someone fall in love with you. That's one of the rules. And it is about what D- Gleason, Dominique Gleason does. Damon Hall, Dominique, I call him Dom Gleason. He's that redhead actor. You've seen him in a bunch of movies, a bunch of TV shows as well. It's called About Time. It's got the best soundtrack of any movie of the decade. That's number one. Number two, it's a movie you can watch from any point, And it's the only movie this decade in my top 10 list that has made it into the automatic watch category. What that means, I have a category of movies A Few Good Men is in it. Ed TV with Matthew McConaughey is in it. That is a category of movies that when they are on TV, no matter what channel, even ones with commercials, and no matter what part of the movie, I will stop what I'm doing and watch the rest of the movie. About Time is in that category. Number four, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's up going to be up for Oscars this year. It made my number four in my top movies of the decade. It's a brilliant Quentin Tarantino movie, probably one of his best for me. He's brilliant, obviously. Uh, you've got to understand that this is a story about the Manson murders. Charles Manson, if you've never heard of it, do some research into the Manson murders, then go sit through the movie, and then realize why it's called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Quentin Tarantino's a genius, and he better win some awards for it. Number three, Interstellar. Interstellar with Matthew McConaughey. Interstellar is a movie that some people thought was like Gravity with Sandra Bullock and George Clooney. No, it's way better. It's long again. But if you watch the movie, it is intoxicating. It's the third best movie I saw. Now I'm going to give you number two. It's a movie, uh, Christopher Nolan, he's got a new movie out. The trailer just came out called Tenet. I tweeted about this yesterday, David P. Sampson, or two weeks ago. I can't remember when I did this. And uh, it was a – the trailer came out, and I just watched it, I think. I didn't get it. That's the best thing about Christopher Nolan movies is you just – you don't get it. And so I watched this trailer, didn't understand it. I went to see a movie this decade by Christopher Nolan called Inception with Leonardo DiCaprio. And guess what? I didn't get it. I didn't get the trailer. I had a hard time following the movie. Then I watched it again. Inception became my number two movie of the decade the second time I watched it. The first time I walked out saying that must have been great because it's Christopher Nolan. But did the top stop spinning? What was the dream? How many levels of dreams? Where was the Japanese guy and why was he old? Was he stuck three levels down or two levels down? Wait, what? what I, was Leonardo DiCaprio... Was his wife alive only at the top level? That's played by Marianne Cotillard, beautiful French actress. Appeared in Big Fish as Billy Crudup's wife, Albert Finney's son, Ewan McGregor. Inception to me was so brilliant that I had to watch it a second time. After the second time, I thought I understood it. I then entered into a conversation when I was in the Marlins about it. It turns out I missed it. I thought I had it nailed second time. Missed it. Watched it a third time. Now I'm just going to tell you I got it. I'm not sure I do. It's still the second best movie. Now, number one movie of the decade. Here we go. Bradley Cooper was in this movie. Have you guessed it yet? Amy Adams was in this movie. Christian Bale was in this movie. Any ideas? Does this song sound familiar to you? I can only play like 10 seconds of it because I think that there become like copyright issues. But I'm going to play a song and I'm going to ask you whether or not you've heard this song. And it's by a band called Steely Dan. Do you know who that is? Okay, listen carefully. Here it goes. Be calm. It's not playing. That's how you know I'm live. Here it is. Sturdy work. Do you know what that is? That's from American Hustle. American Hustle is the type of movie that if you're not watching it and you're not paying attention, you're thinking that it's bad. I got criticized for this being my number one movie of the decade, but I don't know why. It keeps you at the edge of your seat. It's got perfect performances. Forget the fact what happened to Louis C.K. after this movie came out. Bradley Cooper, forget the perm. Forget all that. This takes place in the 70s. It's about political corruption. It's about the feds, and their desire to crack down on all the corruption. You've got Jeremy Renner, the great Jeremy Renner, as the mayor of a New Jersey town. You've got Christian Bale, who is basically a con artist, who combines with Amy Adams to con everybody, including the feds. And it's true, based on a true story, mostly true. If you watch American Hustle and you don't like that movie, I think you're lying to me. Top 10 movies of the decade. This is nothing personal. Okay, to end this year, why do I keep my top 100 list with me? The reason I do is that people want to talk about movies with me all the time. They want to talk about Survivor. They want to talk about movies. And they also want to talk about Marlins. And now they want to talk about nothing personal and different topics they can have on the show. I tell everybody that I carry my top 100 list with me, and I do. I have it with me at all times. I used to carry it as a piece of paper I, I had a black bag for those who uh, who've seen me around town. I used to always carry a black bag with me. I actually carry a black bag with me to CBS Sports HQ every single day. And in that black bag, I keep documents. When I was running the Marlins, I would always keep the lease when we were playing at Dolphin Stadium. I would keep the letter and I still have it. The letter from Steven Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, telling me that we were not invited to stay at Dolphin Stadium. So we had to find a new place to play. I keep that. I always kept Jerry Maguire's mission statement. Darren Ravel used to work for ESPN back in the day, and uh, he was interviewing me for something. And we were talking about movies, and he's a collector, and he collects checks now. If you follow him on Twitter, he's a good follow. And uh, a bit loony. That's why I love him. He sent me the actual mission statement from Jerry Maguire, the mission statement that was written by Cameron Crowe. Tom Cruise didn't write it. It was written by Cameron Crowe. The, the, the character that uh, Jerry Maguire writes this mission statement, it's like a 20-page document. And I've carried that with me every day since 2003, every single day in my black bag. The other thing was a copy of my top 100 list. But now I don't need to have it written because now there's something called Google Sheets that Coke introduced me to and Google Docs and Google Pages, whatever it's called. It's right on my phone. So I decided after all these years, it was time to share my top movies with you. And I just did this updated list as of December of 2019. So it counts the movies from 2019 and it's all the way and it's my top hundred list. I just want you to keep that in mind. Some of them are current. Some of them are old. And I'm going to release them 20 at a time over the course of five or five different podcasts because I want you to know my list. I'd like you to see some of the movies, though it's obviously not required. You may have a different view. Here we go. Number 100. Now, number 100, you'd think, does it, top question I'm ever asked. Does your, top, does your number 100 movie get off the list every time a new movie comes on? The answer is not always. Because when I add a new movie, and I did add new movies, obviously, this year. When I add a new movie, I may add it to number 40 as my top 40. And then I look and I say, you know what? I'm going to move out number 81. I don't even have that in the top 100. So, number 100 is a movie called Silver Linings Playbook. That's another David O. Russell movie like American Hustle. So, I guess you could imagine that American Hustle is going to be higher on my list than 100. Silver Linings Playbook number 100. I'm going to speak about 99 a little bit. It's called Blue is the Warmest Color. Anyone ever heard of Blue is the Warmest Color? Look it up, check it out. It's difficult to watch. It's one of my all-time favorites obviously number 99. It's um it's a story that is especially important to see this day and age. If you've listened to some of my other to my other bonus podcast, if you've talked about uh and listened to some of the top stories that I had on this show, uh Blue is the warmest color, check it out. 98, Terms of Endearment. Terms of Endearment stars Jack Nicholson, Shirley MacLaine. It's a movie about Jeff Daniels, Deborah Winger. It's about cancer, death, and an astronaut. Terms of Endearment is known as the movie that if you watch it and don't cry, it's a guarantee that you don't have tear ducts. It is so perfectly acted. It doesn't purposefully make it get into your heart, and to your emotions. There are movies which do that, where they're going for that moment. They're going for the cry. That's not what Terms of Endearment does. It gets you there. 97, Valley Girl. Valley Girl was Nicolas Cage's first movie. This is when Nicolas Cage was young. He was actually known as Nicolas Coppola back in the early days. He's from the Coppola family. Valley Girl stars Deborah Foreman and Nicolas Cage as two teenagers in the Valley in California. It's got a soundtrack where the main song is by Modern English called I Melt With You. This used to be in my top 20 when I was younger. It's back from the 80s, and then it moved down and down and down. It's still in my top 100. I've watched it this year and it's aged. There's no doubt about it, but there's still something about it. There's something about Valley Girl that makes you say, this deserves to be a top 100 movie. 96 is a movie that I want you to see important to me. It's called Birdie. Birdie, it also stars Nicolas Cage, Matthew Modine. I think it's Matthew Modine. Anyway, Birdie is a a song. Birdie is a movie about mental health issues. It's a movie about two friends and two people, and how they sort of interact with some of the issues they have. It's uh, it's intellectual. It's difficult. It's different, and it is one of the best movies of all time. It's called Birdie. Number ninety five, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Coca had never heard of this. He never heard of Bueller. Bueller. He had no idea that Ben Stein is a teacher in Ferris Bueller's Day Off and that Jennifer Grey, pre-plastic surgery, pre-dirty dancing, has a sort of affair with Charlie Sheen, who plays a criminal in a police station. Not physical, but definitely mental. One of those mental affairs. Fast times. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Check it out. 94, Blake Lively. Blake Lively's in a movie called Savages. Salma Hayek's in the movie. There's people who hate this movie. It's my 94, 94 most favorite movie. Uh, it is intense. If you've never seen Savages, get out there and watch it. It's a movie that uh, it's about two guys. Uh, it's basically about a threesome. And it's way better than the movie Threesome with Lara Flynn Boyle and Stephen Baldwin. It's about three people who genuinely love each other. And the lines of sexuality are completely blurred. You don't really know who is more in love with who. But what you do know is these people want to find a way to live happily ever after. And to do it, they need to make money. To make money, they decide to sell drugs. I think we'll all agree, selling drugs and being a drug dealer is not the best way to make a living and escape life. So, Savages is about what happens. 93. Milk. It's not about the drink. It's about the mayor, Harvey Milk. It's a movie with Sean Penn. And uh, it's the story of Harvey Milk, the mayor of San Francisco. And he was assassinated. He was openly gay. And uh, he was loud and proud, is is how the expression goes, back when it wasn't popular, back when it wasn't cool, back when it wasn't accepted. And now, you know, one of the Best things about the last decade, everything that went on with LGBTQ, all the same-sex marriage legalization that's now taken place. I think all that's great. If you can find someone to love and marry, that's fantastic. In Milk, uh, it shows what the world was. This is even, you know, some some of it is pre AIDS, pre eighties. It's a very difficult movie because you know how it ends. It's difficult to pull off. Any movie where you know how it ends, like an Apollo 13, where you know that they land safely, but how do you make it interesting or exciting? You know that Harvey Milk gets assassinated, but they find a way. 92, and I'm going to post these on Twitter at David P. Sampson, so you'll have them in writing. 92 is Begin Again. Begin Again is a movie with Mark Ruffalo and Kieran Knightley, and it's got the best soundtrack, even better than American Hustle, because start to finish, you've got Keira Knightley singing songs. Uh it's actually got the late night, late late night. James Corden is in this movie, and it's a movie about a uh a woman who moves to New York for a boyfriend who was played by Adam Levine back before he had his Super Bowl crazy performance where he took his shirt off and etc. Adam Levine was great in this movie. It is a fabulous movie with a fabulous soundtrack. Number ninety one, I teared up. It's the notebook, I admit it. James Garner plays the old Ryan Gosling. Ellen Burstyn plays the old Rachel Adams. If Rachel Adams and Ryan Gosling aren't the best-looking, coolest, most amazing couple ever to be on screen, tell me who is. Tell me. I dare you to find another couple where you said, wow. Wow. Well, Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams are two wows, but this is a movie that is about a permanent love story, and it's a movie about people who don't belong together but end up together and they stay together. Number 90 is The Breakfast Club. How do you not see The Breakfast Club? It's done by John Hughes. It's a movie of the 80s. It goes with 89, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. That's sort of a double feature. Go home and watch or stream Fast Times at Ridgemont High, followed by The Breakfast Club. These are two movies that defined not just my generation when I was a teen. They define every generation. Breakfast Club is about a group of students in high school. You've got the athlete. You've got the the sort of the the prom queen you've got the the Ali Sheedy plays the sort of uncomfortable socially awkward person you've got Anthony Michael Hall who plays the brainiac and it's it's about you've got Judd Nelson who plays the bully and it's about how people when they're forced to work together and be together end up like family it's a lot like the tv show survivor for me where people from all areas of life they meet and then they're bonded forever But the biggest point of Breakfast Club is after they spend the whole detention together Sunday and they connect on this amazing level, will they still be friends when they pass each other in the hall on Monday? That's something I think about every day. When I have a moment with someone, when I have an experience, I think to myself, will this matter on Monday? Will this matter the next time I see them? Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. Fast Times at Ridgemont High, if you didn't like the cars, the song Moving in Stereo. You're going to like it after this. Phoebe Cates, currently married to Kevin Kline. Phoebe Cates, this was the first ever nude scene that I can ever recall that changed the lives of generations of men and women alike. And it's a movie with Sean Penn playing a, a dope surfer, and he's brilliant. You can tell he's going to be an Academy Award winner. You can tell he's going to become a serious actor. That's how good he is. Fast Times, Breakfast Club, back to back. Social Network, my honorable mention, ends up at number 88. 87 is Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. 87 is Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. My number 87 movie is Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. 87 is Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. (laughs) 86, Four Weddings and a Funeral. Four Weddings and a Funeral. Hugh Grant, back when he was pre-Notting Hill, uh, In this movie, there are four weddings and a funeral, and it's unbelievably well-written. You've got Andy McDowell, who shows up as an American, who falls for Hugh Grant. The best scene in that movie is the scene when Hugh Grant looks at her and says—he gives her a whole speech about how much he loves her, and he says—sort of a quote as much as I can remember—and as David Cassidy, when he was a member of the Partridge family, said— I think I love you. I think I love you. So what am I so afraid of? Check it out. Four Weddings and a Funeral. 85 is Youth. We talked about. 84, X Machina. 83, Ruby Sparks. We talked about all that. 82, Legends of the Fall. Legends of the Fall has Anthony Hopkins in it with Brad Pitt, Aiden Quinn, and the actress, I cannot believe where my brain is right now. She's the actress who played a role in uh, Coca. Get this for me as quickly as you can. The actress, she played in uh, Legends of the Fall. She also played in The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. And uh, she got a lot of attention, but then she sort of disappeared. And I'm not exactly sure what happened to her. But this is a movie about uh, a family and what happens when a family goes to war. Her name is Julia Ormond, Thank you. Julia Ormond To This was uh, a movie where you can't help but uh, but fall in love with her. You can't help but fall in love with Brad Pitt. No matter what your proclivities are, you just this whole cast is beautiful to look at. The writing is perfect, and it's about a family. They they have issues with people after they come back from war, and it's about what they have to do in order to survive. this This is not a. It's a period piece. It takes place in the early 1900s during Prohibition. Brad Pitt ends up making money or getting into the booze business when it wasn't popular. Legends of the Fall. Uh, well worth your time, I assure you, no matter what kind of movie you like. Then we had number 81. Last movie for this segment was The King's Speech. I had a lot of movies from this decade of my top movies and the honorable mention movies make it into my bottom 20. I'm going to then go through the next 20 at another time. When you have a list of movies, if I have your taste, then you're going to love my list. If you have my taste... You're going to love every movie on my list. And the only way to know if we share taste is to taste some of these movies. Give them a try. If you've never heard of them, you think they're too old, you think they're from generations past, maybe they're only five years old. Some of them are 30 years old. Some are 40 years old. The best thing with a movie critic, when you read reviews, you don't need to listen to Rotten Tomatoes and see that it's ranked 7.2 or 6.9 or 5.4. You need to find a critic or a reviewer who you actually share your opinions with. Because at the end of the day, that means the movies they like are the movies you're going to like, and vice versa. So, my message to you is try out some of these movies. If you like them, keep listening. If you don't like them, I actually will definitely not take it personally. Because for me, when it comes to movies, it's definitely business. This is the story of the one.